The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. Good morning, everyone. I know it's odd to see a new episode in your feed on a Thursday, but this is for two reasons. Firstly, next week is Shavuos and we'll be taking a break. But more importantly, the terrible situation in Israel is getting more and more urgent by the day. So we asked Rabbi Yotav Aliyah back on the show to break down just what is going on in Israel and how long we can expect this to last. Okay, Rabbi Eliach, thank you so much for joining us again on such short notice and uh, for an extremely important topic. Um, so let's jump right into it. Uh, we have this massive situation going on in Israel. We have bombs falling at all hours of the day and night um, on in all areas of the country. Uh, so let's go back all the way to the beginning. Um, how did this come to be? Where do we start here? Honestly, I'm going to go back perhaps a little further than most people would imagine that I would, or anybody would when you answer the, when you answer such a question. I think this all goes back to unfinished business in Operation Cast Lead in 2008 and 2009. Hamas took over the Gaza Strip in 2007, and they already became a big menace the minute they took over. And there were rockets, short-range rockets, Qasims flying into Israel, in particular Sterot, and the area around Gaza, in Hebrew called Otef Aza. It was unbearable already in 2008. And Israel launched Operation Cast Lead, Now, that operation was meant to be six to eight weeks long. And it, was a th- it only lasted three weeks. In those three weeks, Israel pretty much cut the Gaza Strip in half. Uh, literally the north from the south. Israel had pushed in more than halfway in. In the northern part and in the southern part, they were in about two thirds of the way. Uh, They were about to smash, destroy, and obliterate Hamas. Um, For political reasons, mostly the inauguration of a new president. And the new president was Barack Obama on January 20th, 2009. powers that be in Israel decided to stop the operation short. Uh, The operation needed two, three more weeks and there would be no Hamas. Uh, Israel withdrew from pretty much the 60, 70% of Gaza that they controlled. And from that point on, it's all been downhill. Uh, Gaza is a terrorist state. It's the only true terrorist state left on the map right now. I guess the closest thing is Hezbollah and Lebanon. Lebanon pretends to be a country. Uh, Gaza doesn't pretend to be a country. It's an entity run by a terrorist organization. So Hamas had from 2009 until the minute we left them alive and left them intact, we, uh, I think Israel shot themselves in the foot. Uh, Again, it was politically, political reasons. And Hamas became a second Hezbollah. They have a serious rocket capacity. They have the ability to have uh, import rockets through tunnels. And before you know it, they had a range of 40 kilometers, 50. And then we had Operation um, Suketan, Protective Edge in 2014. And again, for political reasons, uh, Israel allowed Hamas to stay alive. Uh, That operation could have 
been handled differently. I know hindsight is 2020, but a lot of people at the time really felt the operation was mishandled and Hamas could have been beaten, destroyed and wiped out. Now, since 2014, Hamas has gotten stronger, more technologically advanced, has more help from Hezbollah, has more help from Iran. And they have, this is my guess, this is an estimate. They must have about 40,000 rockets stored. Put it this way, very few European countries that are members of NATO have 40,000 rockets. Right. We're talking about Britain, France, Germany. Hamas has more rockets probably than they do. We learned in 2014 about their elaborate tunnels, not the ones that they smuggle in from Sinai into Gaza, that everybody knew about, but the tunnels traveling west-east into Israel, where they were going to send squads of terrorists to murder as many Israelis as possible. That they learned about in 2014. So number one, I think the first answer is that Israel, by keeping Hamas alive and intact in the Gaza Strip, has made a very, very big mistake. And the mentality ever since then has been to manage Hamas. You don't manage Hamas, you defeat Hamas. Right. You so don't manage Nazi Germany, you defeat Nazi Germany. Right, so that's a historical context. Right, so that, right. That's, a, that's a big mistake that Israel made for political reasons. Now, okay. why did this round start? Correct. Why did this round start? So let's begin by understanding that Hamas is you know, dedicated to the annihilation of the state of Israel. Correct. They say that in their charter, all their leaders say it every day. Mm -hmm. What's different about them and the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian Authority is two-faced. In English, they say one thing, and in Arabic, they say another. Hamas says the same thing in English and in Arabic. This is Islamic land, this is holy land, every single, you know, we're going to wipe out Israel. The Jews can't control the size of the postage stamp you know, with the descendants of apes, monkeys, pigs, etc., and we're going to destroy and annihilate Israel. So that's the enemy that you're dealing with. Now, there was supposed to be an election soon for the Palestinian Authority. Now, here's the irony. All the, all the human rights groups in the world who seem to be very interested in everything that happens in Israel don't seem to care that Abbas, who's the president of the Palestinian Authority, is in his 15th year of a four-year term. Not to mention there's no writ of habeas corpus in the Palestinian Authority. Uh, there are star chamber trials. Uh, it's uh, uh, reporters, Palestinian reporters, uh, constantly disappear. A lot of people are tortured in Palestinian prisons. Somehow all of those human rights violations don't seem to bother the crowd that calls themselves progressive, liberal, etc. They are, uh, so you have, you have two leaderships in the Palestinian world. You have Hamas, which is a true old fashioned offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist organization. And then you have the Palestinian Authority that is about as corrupt as you can imagine. Now they finally were supposed to have elections. Now, the truth is again, the PA in theory controls Gaza. But Hamas had a revolution in 2007, killed about 100 leaders, mostly security people from the Palestinian Authority and took over Gaza. But on paper, on paper, because of the Oslo Accords, Gaza is still part of the Palestinian Authority. Right. It's a, it's a fiction that exists. So there's supposed to be elections. They're supposed to be, I believe, this month. Now, Abbas, who's already gone 11 years past 
when he's supposed to be, um, knows very well that in a free election, he would lose and Hamas would win because he's hated. And I think Hamas is hated less, but he's hated as corrupt, as undemocratic, as not doing anything but enriching his own family and his friends. And he's done nothing to, you know, to make the cause better. And um, Hamas, at least, you know, they're at least true fighters against Israel. The, the insane part is you have United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Qatar, which was our last discussion. They've reached the conclusion that Israel's here to stay. Unfortunately, the, the, the Palestinian leadership is delusional, beyond delusion, and really believe that they're going to annihilate and destroy Israel. Certainly Hamas believes that, and I think Abu Mazen in a deep sleep thinks that as well. So I just want to stop you there for one second. I'm curious. So they stopped the elections because they're worried that they're going to lose. And, and well, that, I'm, I'm, that's the, I'm giving you a, a, an analysis. That's not what they say no, publicly. No, I, obviously, that's not what they say yeah. publicly. They, they, they probably blame it on Israel. I'm going to explain that exactly. in a minute. Go ahead. But I'm just curious, from um, a global perspective and from our perspective, what would be the ramifications of Hamas being the official leaders of of, of all the Palestinian territories? It depends who you ask. I'm asking you. Um, I say, I actually wrote an article about this uh, 15 years ago um, when the first elections took place. I think I would rather that Hamas finally be the real face of the Palestinian people. So there's no misunderstanding. Abbas plays the game. He wears the suit. His 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 people around him, you know, uh, Saib Arakat died recently. He wears suits, he drinks cognac, he smokes cigars. He's friendly with all sorts of diplomats. Uh, uh, Hanan Ashrawi speaks in American universities. And they have this fig leaf for all this time since we signed Oslo that they're really diplomats and they're really, they're moderate people, et cetera. But anybody who knows anything about the Middle East and the Arab-Israeli conflict, I suggest your listeners read Khalid Abu Tome. He appears in Gatestone. He appears in the Jerusalem Post. He is a Palestinian Israeli journalist, Khaled, K-H-A-L-E-D, Abu, A-B-U, Tawameh, T-O-A-M-E-H. He writes incessantly about the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. He meets these people. He talks to them. He's fluent in Arabic, Hebrew, and English. They are the worst of the worst. They could care less about their own people. So. If Hamas wins an election, we finally call a spade a spade. This is the leadership of the Palestinians, okay? People who believe in genocide, people who believe that women basically have almost no rights that you can imagine. They're a step up over the Taliban. They're genocidal. They are fanatic. They hate Israel. They want to wipe Israel off the map. No ifs, ands, or buts. They believe that it is a, a glorious death and to wait for those 72 virgins, it's not somebody on the sidelines. That's what the heads of Hamas believe. Me personally, I think it finally allows us to pull the mask off and say, this is who we're dealing. Okay, so you want these guys to be my partners? These are the people I should share power with? These are the people I should have agreements with? Absolutely not. Now you can understand that, you know, it's time for me to annex area C in, okay. in Judea and Samaria. So that's more of a long-term goal, long-term play, you have, you, you have the unmask, but that's not going to, that, that, that something will have to happen on the immediate side before 
the mask can come off. So you maybe even so you asked me, you asked me who yes. do I think and what what does it mean if they win? And I think if they win, as horrible as it is, it will be a good thing for Israel and a good thing for peace. Right. But do you think on the immediate side there'll be more violence, like maybe even for a short time? Of course. Okay. Everything, for... There'll be violence no matter what in their world. Okay. When they took over in 2007, they murdered a hundred PLO Palestinian Authority leaders and okay. security people. Right. And didn't just murder them, you know, with a gunshot to the head like the mafia. They did very horrible things to people. Right. All right. So before we go back into the uh, the how how PA is 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 playing this on on Israel, uh, how does Fatah um, play into this? Fatah is the largest part of the PA. Okay. Fatah is originally the party that was the largest, the largest faction that made up the Palestine Liberation Organization, made up the PLO, PFLP, uh, all sorts of different groups, but Fatah is the largest. So, uh, and actually Abu Mazen himself is from the Fatah faction, okay? So they're, they're the biggest part of the Palestinian okay. All right, so now they, have these, they, they don't have these elections. It's because they're worried that, it's because Abbas is worried that Hamas is gonna take over. So he goes on his, his uh, media tour. And what does he say? Well, his, his media tour, he didn't need any media tour. For the last 70 years, all Arab leaders, when their countries are hungry, starving, poor, you know, illiterate, the one thing you were able to do to rally people around you was, hey, I'm fighting Israel. Hey, I hate Israel. Hey, I, I hate the Jews. I hate the Zionist cancer. And I'm going to get rid of them. So that trick doesn't work in the UAE. I don't think it works in certain countries, but it certainly works in, in the Palestinian world, unfortunately. It still works there. So basically what he did was he begins to look at two things that have been happening for decades and suddenly puts a spin on them and makes them a new cause for the PA. And what are those two things? One, there is a neighborhood in East Jerusalem called Sheikh Jarrah. There are several houses there that there has been a real estate dispute for over 40 years in Israeli courts between Israeli Jews and Arabs of East Jerusalem who are technically Israeli, uh, not citizens, they are Israeli um, residents, okay? The debate has been who owns this property? And it's gone from court to court to court to court to court. And in the meantime, the Jewish families haven't collected any rent for 40 something years. And finally, finally, the final court said, you know what, this, these, these four or five properties do belong to these Jewish families. So this has been a 40 plus year legal real estate debate. Abu Mazen being no fool, spins this into, and of course he has his friends in BDS, he has his friends in NR, NPR and people of that ilk. And suddenly the Israelis are trying to kick out people, Palestinians from their homes in East Jerusalem, which is like, you know, you know, for no reason, you know, Israel likes to get up in the morning. What can we do today to, you know, to do something horrible to Palestine? I have an idea. Let's go into Sheikh Jarrah and, you know, play pin the donkey, find a few houses, and, you know, we hate the Palestinians anyway, they're subhuman, and we'll just kick them out of their houses. And Abu Mazen says, no, the Palestinian Authority, we are the defenders. 
of, of the, each Jerusalem. Once he starts to talk about that, he also says, wait a second, I'm not gonna have elections unless all the Arabs who are in East Jerusalem can vote in the Palestinian Authority elections. It's already been decided that they're not part of the Palestinian Authority. They're residents of the state of Israel. They vote for mayor in Israel. They get their babies. They have Israeli uh, uh, um, um, medical insurance. They have Israeli um, welfare, food stamps, Israeli public school systems, the police, their infrastructure, it's all Israeli. And none of them want to move to the Palestinian Authority. So this is all a red herring and it's a lie, but it's created, number one, I, the Palestinian Authority now, we're fighting for the Palestinians on holy East Jerusalem and keeping the nasty, horrible Israelis from just kicking out for no reason other than they are bigots and racists and apartheid kicking out people. So the whole damn thing's a lie. And just like the media, the word is not fake news. It's, it's lying squared. Now, that's one thing they've been saying. You know, Sheikh Jarrah and why can't the people in East Jerusalem vote? Until they vote, we can't have elections and we can't have elections while this horrible crime against humanity is taking place with these people in Sheikh Jarrah. Number two, Israelis have been going to the Temple Mount since the Six Day War. Israelis have been visiting the Temple Mount since after the Six Day War. More and more Rabbanim for halachic reasons allow that there's certain parts on the Temple Mount you can walk on because it's not exactly the area where the Beit HaMikdash stood. So over the last few years, more and more Jews go up there. And according to Israeli law right now, you're not allowed to pray up there because technically speaking, the deal we made in 67 is that the Waqf, the uh, Islamic um, holy authority is in charge of the Temple Mount. So this is an ongoing thing about Jews going up there and the Palestinian Authority is not terribly happy about it, neither is the Waqf, and neither, technically Jordan runs the Waqf, okay. So suddenly he takes an old story and rallies around, this is, this is a tactic that the Mufti used, and you lie. And you start talking about, you know, the Jews, they wanna come up here and pray and they, they wanna desecrate it. He's been using this on and off for years. So suddenly, the PA is fighting for Al-Aqsa. The Dome of the Rock is not a mosque, by the way. That's, that's a holy museum. The building, when you're at the Kotel to your right with the silver dome, that's a mosque, that's Al-Aqsa. We're fighting for Al-Aqsa. We can't have the Jews. One of the quotes from Abu Mazen from years ago, their stinking dirty feet should not set foot on the Temple Mount. This is the moderate Palestinian. And so suddenly, very smart, he turns this into a religious issue. The Palestinian Authority is now fighting for the, for the Muslims all over the world, for the nasty Jews not to go up there and pray and who knows, build a synagogue or build a temple. God knows what they're gonna do. And so that took, there was traction. There was traction in the Palestinian street. There was traction in the Islamic world and the left, which now has this bizarre, sick alliance with the Palestinians, with Iranians, with radical Muslims, even though if they lived in their countries, it'd all be hung for different reasons, okay? And Hamas is watching all of this and saying, wow, we are a three-time loser. We're not gonna have an election. Abu Mazen is stealing all our thunder and claiming he's protecting East Jerusalem and Sheikh Jarrah, and he's the protector of 
the Holy of Holies, the Haram al-Sharif, the Dome of the Rock in Al-Aqsa. Hamas begins to say that the, the riots that are going on in Jerusalem for Sheikh Jarrah and the riots going on in the Temple Mount, this is our problem. We're not gonna let the Israeli police beat these people or arrest these people or, 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 or basically give a black eye to Islam. So they flip the whole thing around and say, the PA is not doing enough. We'll show the Israelis that we mean business. And that's when the rocket fire began. So you're saying that you don't think the PA and Hamas have been in cahoots with doing these things at the same time. They're doing these independent of each other. Yeah. Well, the, you know, Israel's always a good kicking board and a red herring and a, something to point your finger at. But at the end of the day, they, they hate each other. I don't know it, when people, I don't know, I don't really trust Google because <laughs> I don't trust high tech, uh, big tech at all. It's almost like the Soviet Union. But there was a time that you could Google, uh, you know, peace talks between, how many peace talks have there been between the PA and Hamas? 30, 40, none of them work. None of them work. Right. It just, they're never gonna work. So they these fights, so these fights generally rotate around who hates Israel more and who is going to do more to fight back against Israel. Right. And, okay. and the, I'll tell you one of the most ironic things in all of this. The last thing the PA wants is for the Israeli army to leave areas B and sometimes they go into areas A because if the IDF wasn't around, Hamas would have annihilated him and his security forces a long time ago. Right. That's just another ironic twist to all hmm. of this. Okay, so we we, list, we went we went through the through the, the various uh, more recent things that might have led up to this. There's a couple of other things that the media is reporting, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. Uh, first is the fact that all this takes place at the end of of Ramadan. Uh, uh, it's is it pronounced Aid. Uh, the last the El, last week. El Eid and Fatir. Right. So the right, last week in Ramadan also coincided with Yom Yerushalayim. Um, and actually, one thing that I did note that they noted uh, ABC report on, I didn't see it anywhere else, um, but maybe you have any uh, uh, notice of this from the beginning of Ramadan, where the Israeli government blocked an entrance to, uh, from Shar Shechem for the beginning celebration of Ramadan, which is ch technically some, supposedly some sort of big gathering site uh, for, for the Palestinians during Ramadan. Well, let me tell you this. Um, Ramadan has historically been a month of violence against Israel. Historically. And since the beginning of Ramadan, there have been more stabbings. There have been more attempts at drive-by shootings. There have been more attempts at rammings in Judea and Samaria. And there's been a big uptick. Now in Jerusalem in particular, I don't know exactly what happened on the first day of Ramadan, but I believe there was some riots and disturbances that took place next to Sharshem. I have to double check exactly. It's not that the Israel planned anything. They probably either injured or wounded an Israeli policeman or a border patrolman or something like that. And therefore, Israel probably clamped down a little bit upon, upon the entrance there. But there was access to, to Al-Aqsa and access to the Dome of the Rock. That's not, that was not stopped for anybody. Okay? And uh, th these are all red herrings. Uh, both the PA and Hamas despise the state of Israel, would like it to disappear. Just go to the Palestinian Authority's TV programs and speeches. There's something called Palestine Media Watch. I'm sure you're aware of it. Yeah. All you have to do is go on and see what they tell their people and their children every single day. Hitler would be proud. 
Goebbels would be proud. Okay, right. ABC should do more research. Uh, they don't need any pretext to hate us. They they have it all figured out already. Why? And um, that's not the reason that we have rockets flying at us. All right. So with the with with the fact that you you mentioned that that uh, that Ramadan is historically a time of violence. Is that possibly a reason why these elections were scheduled shortly after Ramadan was over? Is that, was that, was that kind of planned that maybe something will happen during Ramadan that we can play off of that to, in, order, in order to push off the elections uh, uh, even further? You know, that's a question, Abu Mazen. It's an interesting question. Uh, none of his people would answer it candidly. I think it's an interesting possibility, but um, I don't know how important it is to understanding where we are right now. Meaning at the end of the day, you have two parts of the same entity that hate Israel's guts. And one is more honest than the other. They would like to eradicate us right. and get rid of us. Now, there's one other factor. Former Secretary of State Pompeo spoke about today. I've been in touch with Israelis, you know, for a few days in overdrive before Pompeo said this, but this is something to be aware of. Okay, let me just read you. Former U.S. Secretary of State places blame on current U.S. President for current round of Hamas-Israel violence. Biden delayed his call with Israeli leadership and restarted funding to the Palestinian Authority through the U.N. Both signaled to Hamas and terrorists in the West Bank that America places less value on our relationship with Israel. It matters who leads. The former Secretary of State tweeted Wednesday. Okay, so... This is not just Yotav Elias speaking. I think Pompeo knows a lot more than a lot of people do. At the end of the day, since the Biden administration has taken office and has been running after the Iranians like a lovesick puppy who feels that I need to ask you out to be the, you know, my prom queen, no, no matter how many times you said no to me, I'll, more flowers, more candy, more anything, please, okay? Which is the exact opposite of the Trump administration. The biggest, the biggest purveyors and superstars of, of terror in the Middle East are the Iranians. They are the patrons of Hamas, even though Hamas is Sunni, and they are the patrons of Hezbollah, and they're the patrons of the Houthis. They are the patrons of the Shia militias, militias in Iraq, and they are also stationed themselves in Syria. So I don't care what the spin was here in the United States, or what Jen Psaki says, you know, and when she has in the Middle East, read what Arab writers are saying. Everybody understands that America was turning its back on its friends, which is Israel, the Saudis, United Emirates, Bahrain, and now kissing up to a everybody's enemy in the Middle East. I, I, I understand that, um, but let me push back on that a, a little bit because it's not like during the Trump administration, there was no rocket fire. I, I, exactly two years ago, beginning of May in 2019, there were 600 rockets fired at Israel from Gaza. So I don't know that the Gazans, I don't know that the Hamas needs the excuse of no, Biden being I'm more. It's not just the rocket fire. There's been a huge uptick in violence. There's been a huge uptick in terror. And there's a difference between 600 rockets and I don't know through what time period they were fired. They didn't fire one at Tel Aviv and they were not interested in having a full blown type of war that we have right now. So I'm just looking I at- I believe, uh, this is my opinion and I agree with Mike Pompeo, that they feel they have wind in their sails. The Iranian 
the, the, the desperate attempt to make an agreement with them, giving $250 million to the Palestinian Authority, giving money to UNRWA, UNRWA, which is basically an anti-Semitic, anti-Israel organization, all happening in the last three and a half months and changing their diplomatic status from that of a terror organization to a political entity to talk to, that has sent a clear message. Israel is not our buddy as much as, you know, just listen to the statements made by the, by the US State Department spokesman the last two, three days. They, it was, it's very even-handed. It's, well, you know, the Israelis deserve this, uh, the, the Hamas, Gaza deserves this. It's the same nonsense. I'm not saying that's the main cause, but it certainly has not helped. And it certainly has emboldened Hamas. Not that they need that for an excuse, but it hasn't helped matters at all. Okay, so I'm looking at the uh, the initial reports from 2019. There were two rockets, two fired towards Tel Aviv. And then that was in March of 2019. And then in May, there were the 600 that didn't go to Tel Aviv, but in other areas. But yeah, it's definitely nowhere near the, uh, the level of what we have now. So you are correct. Um, uh, there is one more thing that nobody else is really talking about, and maybe because it's nothing, but I thought I'd bring it up now. Does the fact that the that the COVID-19 pandemic is basically over and done with in Eretz Israel, does that have anything to do with what's going on right now? I think it's, a, it's fair to say that it's a factor for both sides, more for them than for us. We're not interested in, oh, there's no more COVID, let's go fight a war. But I think the fact that COVID is also, you know, uh, rescinded both in, in Palestinian Authority areas and in the Gaza means they that was a huge medical problem for both of them. It's not a medical problem anymore. And pr that could be a factor that allows them to uh, to focus more on this. Uh, I would also imagine that the fact that there are a lot of more people out and about in the streets, um, there are more targets available. Um, oh, you meaning from their perspective? From their perspective, time, yes. It's it, it, it just a theory. No, no, it, it plays into it. It's a possibility. All right. So now we're in, we're, we're well entrenched in this. This has been going on since the beginning of this week, basically. Um, and now it's, it's Wednesday night here, Thursday morning over in Eretz Yisrael. Um, I just want to take off the Rabbi Yotav Eliach hat for a second. And I want to put on, maybe if you could wear it, um, a, a Palestinian, not, not like a, a, a a, not a, uh, a government official, but just a random Palestinian settler, someone, a, a Palestinian uh, shopkeeper, a Palestinian school teacher. You're um, talking about in Gaza or in under the PA authority? Somebody, somebody parts. who's somebody who's not necessarily doesn't have, doesn't. I don't care where they are, but there's, somebody. But you should know there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. But I'll, I'll describe what I'm the type of person I'm talking about, and you can tell me where that person lives. It's somebody who isn't, you know militantly against Israel, uh, but definitely finds themselves on the sides of, of the Palestinians um, and thinks that what is going on now, the, the rocket shipped into Israel, is a positive thing. So where does that person live? It's, well, first of all, I think everybody in the Gaza Strip has been indoctrinated to a great extent. And those who have not been are afraid to speak their minds. So I would say the vast majority of the Gazans will buy into this one way or another. Okay, so let's say in you put Judea on- In Samaria, I think it's divided between middle age and older people and younger mm -hmm. people. 
I think there are a lot of middle-aged Palestinians who work with Israelis or for Israelis, and they know this is very bad for their lives. This is very bad for their day-to-day -day job. This is very bad for their home life. This is very bad economically. It's, it really is, it, it's something that could destroy hundreds of thousands of lives. Now, the younger people, uh, you know, uh, and also those who are, work for Hamas, et cetera, they're dancing, they're happy. And I have to add, there are Israeli Arabs, as we know, there was the pogrom in Lod. We didn't talk about that. That's a third front. Yeah, we're, we're on my now, list. There's now in all the mixed cities in Israel, which is basically Lod, Ramla, Yafo, Akko, Latzeret to a lesser extent, and a little bit Tveria, that you now have the young Israeli Arabs pretty much acting like, uh, you know, like a fifth column in Israel and, and, and having a pogrom in Lod, et cetera. Now, I don't think many of their fathers or mothers or grandparents think that way or think this is a smart thing to do. But you have that in Israel as well. So I, I think for those who cling to the fantasy that Israel can be destroyed and will be destroyed, uh, their, their hopes have just gone up, you know? The fact that 200 rockets were fired at Tel Aviv, no one's ever done that before. The Zionist enemy is really being punished and hurt. This is, you know, since 2006 against Hezbollah, we haven't had as many civilian casualties per day as we're getting now. And so though for those people, they're like, they're, you know, they're lit up, they're, they're positive, they're feeling good, and they feel they got the wind behind their sails. Okay, so let's say let's say these types of people. What's their justification? Why this? Why why they they are allowed to be doing what they're doing? Which group are we talking about? We're now? talking about the, these young these young uh, the, the younger generation in these let's say these mixed communities. In their minds. In their minds. In their minds, just like I don't think it's all that different than the than the Black Lives Matter who you know rioters who burnt down how many cities this past summer I don't know who. And, you know, I've watched them interviewed, do not believe that looting, rioting, burning, destruction is a bad thing. They explain to you with this intersectionality and this reverse racism and, 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 and all of that on these new theories, that if anything, hey, we're, we're, this is our right. We've been oppressed for so long and we're just, we're just giving you a taste because that's what they've been taught to believe. Uh, even though ask any Nigerian who moves to America, or any Kenyan or anybody from East Africa or West Africa, if this is such a racist country, why are they bothering to come here at the rate that they do? And why are all these brown people coming from Latin America to this racist country? That's another interesting question, but that's what these young people think. It's the same mentality. They can't be confused with the facts, the fact that they live a nice life, the fact that they have religious freedom, political freedom, social freedom, that they have members in the Knesset government, et cetera. It's what, you know, it's this absurd theory that they believe in, in their minds, they're justified. Right, Many so, of them are very, you know, will claim to be affiliated with some sort of a, an Islamic movement group. All right, we are running out of time. Um, I do want to get your opinion as to if there's an end in sight um, to this, how long do you think this is going to last? And what are the long-term ramifications? Well, I, I believe there's two schools of thought in Israel. I'm talking about in the military and the political sphere. And each one is very different. 
and the ramifications will be great. So one is to continue with the mentality that we've had since 2008 or nine. And that is to manage Hamas. We cease fire with them. We have understandings. The word in Arabic is hudna. We have like timeouts. We have understandings that you don't do this and you don't do that. And we'll make sure not to do this and not to. There is a school of thought that believes you can manage the crisis just like the United States managed the Soviet Union or the United States managed communist Cuba. Um, I believe that is a fallacy. It's a huge mistake. You cannot manage this type of enemy. You have to defeat this type of enemy. Now the group that wants to manage it will tell you that there's gonna be a very heavy price to pay to defeat the enemy. There is some truth to that. But the other school of thought that says, we have to absolutely defeat this enemy. We cannot have our whole country held hostage by you know, a group of Islamic jihadists, you know, bloodthirsty genocidal maniacs controlling the Gaza Strip. It's not, it's not, it's not a long-term solution to manage them. They have to be defeated. They have to be destroyed. Now, the second reason they have to be destroyed is not just that they shouldn't pop up again, which they have already three, four times. There's another issue here. And I'm, I, I, I obviously side with this, with this school. Hezbollah is watching very carefully what's going on. Iran is watching very carefully. Iran's main frontline proxy against Israel is Hezbollah. Hezbollah has 150 to 160,000 missiles with ranges far more than Hamas that can go all the way from Lebanon to Eilat and everything in between. Now they're watching carefully and saying, okay, Hamas is the mini-me of Hezbollah. 40,000 rockets, again, more than most European NATO countries. Right. And their, their biggest, the longest range they have, I think is 100 kilometers or something like that. How does Israel deal with that? Now, if Israel has to manage Hamas, that means they can't deal with us. They can't. And all we need, God forbid, is Hezbollah to think that they really can start up with us. If Hezbollah starts up with us, it's going to make Hamas, whatever we have with Hamas, is going to look like two 10-year-olds having a fight in the schoolyard. Okay, mm -hmm. It's going to be the ugliest, deadliest war fought in decades in the world. And the only way Israel is going to stop and win, and she has no choice but to win, is going to be to annihilate Lebanon. It's literally to annihilate Lebanon. You can't have an enemy with 160,000 rockets pointed at you that could fire about, in my opinion, 10 times more rockets than Hamas has fired in a day. I mean, the biggest day they had, they fired 200, 300. If you ask me, Hezbollah can fire 4,000 a day. And the only way to respond to that, you can't, you can't fight weeks, it's days. And wherever the rocket fire is coming from, everything has to go. 20-story building, 50-story building, a hospital, it doesn't make a difference because you can't have a country under rocket fire with 4,000 rockets. You know, you, you, you cannot. No country can survive. So I'm of the school of thought 
that there are two reasons to defeat Hamas. Annihilate them, because managing them does not work. There's no managing them, okay? They're coming back and they're gonna come, come back at you harder and harder and harder and harder. And they give a lot of hope to a lot of people. It has to be ended. It has to be ended. And number two, Hezbollah's watching. And if we can't handle them and, and really beat the stuffing out of them, Hezbollah's saying, wow, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe we should give this a try. Now, the horrible thing is that Israel, with God's help, can defeat Hezbollah, but the price is going to be very big on our side. And what we're going to have to inflict to win, and we have no choice. We will have no choice but to inflict it. Is going to make anything we've ever done in Gaza look like me, you know, flicking somebody's ear. That's what type of damage we're going to have to do. Right. It's going to be World War II style damage. So those are the two schools of thought. Who's going to win? I don't know. I don't know. I know that right now it's clear that is. There's been talk that, you know, that the Hamas wants some sort of a ceasefire. Israel is in no mood for a ceasefire. It's not, it's not happening. Too many civilians have been killed. Too many rockets have destroyed too many buildings. Too many Israelis are injured. Too much disruption to Israel's life. Who is going to win? Now, we didn't even talk about the fact that there's not a real government put together yet from the last election, which right, is correct. another reason that they felt Israel was vulnerable. So that you, know, you don't even have a normal government, you know, you get four elections in two minutes. So Hamas looks at that and says they're not united enough or, or organized enough to really fight back. I think Hamas is a little surprised by how ferocious the Israeli response has been. So I cannot tell you what I think the end result will be. I will tell you what I think the two choices are. And if the, if the school of thought that thinks they're gonna manage wins, I think it's bad. And the school of thought that thinks it's time to really destroy them I think that would be a good thing for Israel, a good thing for the people in Gaza, eventually a good thing for the Arabs who live in Judea and Samaria, et cetera. So that, okay. that's where I'm coming from. And do you think that it's in Israel's best interest to end this faster or more totally? Meaning get rid of as much of Hamas as possible if it takes, you know, however long it takes, but that might stir up Hezbollah, or is it make more sense to end this, you know, tomorrow and it can't be ended tomorrow. Well, ended politics. Faster. It can be militarily. It can be. Can right. be ended tomorrow. It can be. Hamas can be destroyed in twelve hours, just using firepower. There'll be thousands of civilians killed. Even with Israel being selective, and warning, thousands of civilians will be killed. Not tens. Not hundreds. Thousands. But within twelve hours, Hamas can be destroyed. All their rockets all their factories, all their tunnels, all the everything, it'll, it'll be, it'll look like the moon. Okay. And that's with being careful. They'll try to leave pockets here and there. You'll tell people to run to the beach. You'll broadcast in Arabic, but to do it quickly is, is means a lot, a lot of civilian casualties. I think right now it can't drag on for too long because, you know, they still have the ability to fire rockets. I don't know. I'm sure that Israel has a very clear plan either way. If, even for those who think they're gonna manage it, I think they've changed that we, we have to leave very little of them left to manage. 
the idea that we can give them a bloody nose and we'll manage that, nobody believes that in the army anymore. Right. Uh, you have to break their arm, their, their neck, you know, you, you really have to hurt them bad. And then there's a school of thought is, you know, they, it's, they cannot survive this encounter and, you know, and they will not, they will cease to exist when this is over. And that, you know, and that means uh, if it takes a week or two, I don't know how long. Uh, there are, Israel has many weapons and many styles of fighting at her disposal to, to, to take care of Hamas. And they have to just decide and also how long, how much can the civilians take in Israel and how much can the economy take? Hmm. But I think that the, the, it's a noble goal to destroy them. And even for the other school of thought to cripple them to such a point that they, they, they won't be able to, to harm Israel. That, that's, that's what I think. Okay, um, last question from me. Um, <laughs> long-term effects for Benjamin Netanyahu. I think that Tanyahu is this, he's, he can't be the prime minister anymore. Okay, we, that's why there's four elections. Right. Yes, on one hand, he has the biggest plurality of votes to be prime minister. You know, I, I know 25% of Israel wants him to be a prime minister, but 75% does not. The, this last election is classic. Israel is a right of center country. It's probably the only Western country left in the world that's right of center, thank God. The whole West is jumping off the cliff to be woke and the whole West is jumping off the cliff to commit suicide socially, culturally, religiously, economically, except Israel and maybe Japan. But the coalition is not, they have 65 seats like this. And if you take Lieberman, they have 72 seats all to the right. None of them want Bibi to be prime minister. If right. he was, he's the, he's, he's the problem. So if you ask me, he's done as prime minister. He has a role to play in Israel's foreign politics forever. If I had the power, I would take Gidon Saar and Lieberman and Serbabotai. First Gidon, Gidon used to be part of Likud. You gotta come home. You, you see what the country is, we wanna have a, a left of center government, that's insane. Come in, now we have 65 seats. Bibi, you can't be prime minister and you can't be a minister according to law. So I'm going to make you the head of the foreign ministry, not as foreign minister. It's a job that, um, what's his name had? He was Israel's uh, UN ambassador years ago, Dory Gold. Hmm. I, for, I forgot the exact term, but it's a, a job, but you have like, you're a chairman of, the, of, of Israel's foreign policy. You'll have a big role in that, but you're not a minister, you're not a prime minister. You have, you have a lot of friends in the world and we need you for that. You can't be prime minister. You ask me who would be the best prime minister? Personally, I would say Bennett right now. This is what you'd like to happen. Do you think it will? I think it's a, I think it's a theoretical possibility. Okay. I think it's a theoretical possibility because everybody sees that you need a strong center-right government to run the country. And they have the seats. They just have to get their act together. And I'm sorry, Bibi, you will not be the prime minister or foreign minister, but you'll have an important role in Israel's establishment of, of foreign affairs. Bennett is much younger, much more in tune. He's not disliked anywhere near as much as Bibi is. 
he can reach out to all sorts of, he's acceptable to Haredim and he's acceptable to Yeshatid people, etc. Not mm-hmm. that they would be part of the government. Uh, but right now, I think the one thing uh, that's, everybody's putting that on the side for right now, this has to be taken care of. And I just hope that the voices of managing, managing, managing are being quieted and quieted and quieted. And it should be more about victory and less about management. All right. Uh, Rabbi Eliach, thank you so much for your time. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I am optimistic that, God willing, the Israeli leadership will figure out what to do. What's the most positive thing is that Israelis rally together when these things happen. And Israelis are rallying together from all walks of life. Uh, unfortunately, one of the, one of the um, collateral damage of this is Israeli Arabs acting the way they did, which is going to set back relations decades, perhaps, there's going to have to be a way to find. Uh, some of it's going to be strong armed. Like right now, Lud is under mar- uh, almost martial law. Lud has a curfew from uh, four from eight p.m. till four a.m. The border patrol is in Lud. Uh, you know, things are happening that haven't happened in Israel for 50, 60 years. I think Israeli Arabs made a huge mistake. Not the whole community, but part of their community made a big mistake, and that's going to have to be addressed. And I am also. You know, I, I, I'm dismayed that in Bat Yam today, an Arab bus driver was dragged off a bus and almost beaten to death by a crowd of Jews. That is not who we are, and that's not what we should be doing. Uh, I don't, I, that's, that's got to, we got to put a stop to that. But, uh, you know, that there's a fifth column in Israel is clear. Question is how big it is, how, how part of, how accepted are they in the Arab world? And, uh, I think the Israeli Jews, center left and clearly right, are all going to be focused when this is all over. Hey, guys, we have to sit and talk about this. This has to be dealt with. This is unacceptable. All right. The positive note is, with God's help, uh, we will we'll get out of this stronger and better. Uh, and um, just, to, you know, just to put this also on a personal perspective, I have a son in the army. Uh, he's deployed out there. So this is very personal for me as well. I have two students who are out there being deployed as well. So, you know, I, I'm not sleeping well the last few days. And uh, God willing, and I have faith that you know, the, the, with Satya this will work out. All right, Rabbi Eliach, thank you so much for your time and your explanations. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk to you will be about much better things. God willing. Thank you very much. Our thanks to Rabbi Yotav Eliach for making the time to explain everything that happened in Israel on such short notice. If you want to hear more from Rabbi Eliach, you can check out episode 47, where he breaks down the various peace agreements Israel made last year. To all of you, and especially those in Eretz Israel, be safe out there and culture. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Israeli Pikes. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg. Follow us on Facebook at The Jewish Living Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at Jewish underscore living. You can also email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.